Uh, my name is Noel. I am one of the pastors here at Riv. Super glad that you are here to uh, join us in worship today. Uh, at Riv, we invite everyone to know and enjoy Jesus as we stumble together in our pursuit to love like him. That's our mission as a church. And what that means is that everything we do flows out of that idea, out of that mission. And there are several implications in that statement, and I just want to break down a few of them for you. Uh, the first implication is um, our passion uh, to uh, invite everyone to know and enjoy Jesus implies that we believe that life, not just eternal life, right? Um, but that life itself, the everyday enjoyment of creation and relationships is best found in Jesus. The second implication in this mission statement is that we are not going to get this right all of the time. We are all uh, fellow stumblers with one another. In fact, there's a song that we sing here that refers to us as stumbling saints, and I, I love that. We're not going to get this right. And the third implication is uh, the best thing that we can do is to pursue loving everyone, which means uh, loving God, loving others, loving even ourselves on Jesus's terms. Because if he's the one that we're pursuing, we want to love uh, like him, which means uh, that the, the Bible, that Jesus himself gets to define what love is, and that sometimes that definition of love is super countercultural in our society. Now, I started today just diving right into all of this uh, because we are launching into a very different kind of series this fall. Uh, what we typically do as a, as a church, and we love doing this, is we work our way through books of the Bible. We start at the beginning, we go verse by verse through the whole thing. That's typically uh, what we do, and then sometimes we do some topical stuff. But what happens is when you're working through the Bible, like cover to cover like that, and uh, we hit issues um, as they come up in the text, because we don't want to force things into the Bible that are not there, uh, but that means that sometimes there are big cultural issues and controversies happening in our society that don't get a lot of attention. So what happens is we have people come up to us all the time and they're like, well, why don't you teach on this? Or they're like, well, why don't you teach on that? And in my experience, uh, most of those requests come um, from one of three places. Uh, the first is somebody who legitimately doesn't know what the Bible has to say about something, and they're really curious. They're like, oh, I want to know, what does this actually mean? But that is actually very uncommon. <laughs> Uh, the second is that they know exactly what they believe. Uh, they assume that we agree with them and they just want us to get up on stage and let everybody know that they're right. 
that's a little more common. And then another position is that someone will come to us and they already know what they believe. Um, they want to know what we believe because for them, this issue is so important that the answer we give them is going to be the litmus test as to whether they belong to our church, join our church, or even stay connected to Christianity. And so what's happened is we've had enough of those issues kind of pop up that we realize that there are a lot of important issues that we only lightly tap, um, but they deserve a little bit more intentional treatment. And so we had these conversations as a team about how do we handle that? Do we just kind of continue to handle things as it hits in the text? And then we came up with a crazy idea, which I will confess may be a terrible one. So just tell you right from the get-go, what we're going to do is we're going to do a 10-week series and we're going to walk straight into all of the controversy. Because we feel like we just can't brush the stuff aside. And so what we did is we started with a big whiteboard and we filled the whiteboard with all these potential topics and we prayed and whittled our way down to nine. And so what that means is I am personally both really excited and, and kind of nervous about the series. Uh, we have spent a lot of time and effort on this and I know that it is probably gonna strike some nerves. Because some of the issues that we're going to talk about over the next 10 weeks are really, really important to some of you. Some of these issues won't matter to you much at all. And some of you may agree, disagree very, very strongly on where we put the line and where we believe Scripture puts the line on these different issues. But we think it's important to hit because we want to have the kind of church where we are courageous enough to talk about the stuff that people are thinking about and discussing, but maybe they don't talk about it as often in church. And we want to submit ourselves to the word of God, um, even if that means people might get angry with us on some issues. And we want to do all of that with a posture of humility and grace. So, Here's how we're tackling this series. It's gonna be different. So I want you to zone in because we're doing a wildly different series here. Um, today, I am obviously teaching live at Holt um, and I'm teaching via video at Rio Town Westside and for those um, watching online. But for the rest of the series, all of the teachings at all of our venues will be live, which will not affect Holt quite as much as the other uh, venues. But what we're going to do is there are six of us who are going to rotate around the church uh, doing a little bit of a traveling road show. And each one of us has grabbed one or two topics, and we've gone all in studying on that topic. And we've shared our notes with one another. We've given feedback to one another. We've pushed and pulled, discussed the topics with people inside the church and people outside the church. And we're gonna do the best we can to be biblically faithful as we present these topics. That means that every venue of RIV, um, for those of you who don't know, we're one church in three locations and then we stream our, our Holt service online. Each one of our venues is gonna get a different topic every week with a different teacher. But every venue will get every topic with every teacher as we rotate our way through. And so that means if you're somebody who tends to jump venue to venue to venue, you might not want to do that during the series. Because you might end up with the same teaching and the same teacher every time as you jump 
around. And, and for those of you who watch online, uh, this is really important for you to know. The service will only be available on Sundays starting at 10 a.m. until 9 p.m. At that point, we're taking it down. And then we are going to repost the messages on our website and the full services on YouTube when that particular message has hit every single venue. Because our goal is that everybody gets to experience each one of these things live and in person. And now, the big question that people have been asking me, no. So there you go. You already know the question. The question is, are we going to tell you in advance what the topics are? No, uh, we're not going to tell you in advance what the topics are, who's teaching on it, what teacher is teaching at which venue. You're just going to have to be here to find out. And what we're going to do is at the very beginning of the service when you get here, we're going to let you know what the topic is that day because we do know that there are some topics that you may have a very good personal reason to want to either uh, tap out um, or to make sure you send your kids to our Riv Kids program, which by the way, I highly advise during this series um, because there are going to be some adult themes with some of these topics. Um, and by the way, Riv Kids is not doing this series. They're doing their own thing. Um, that's a really important detail. And they're, it's great. So what they're doing is great. It's not what we're doing. Um, but as parents, it's up to you to decide whether you want your kids in the service or not. We, you're the parent. So you get to decide those things, but we'll announce it at the beginning. Um, we also know, and I know this is a very long intro, but just bear with me. Um, we know that some of these topics will stir up some questions for you. And so we want to give you an opportunity to ask those questions. And so on your program or on your screen, there's a QR code on there. And three times during this series, we're going to have an event at our Rio Town venue um, where we are going to have a night of this conversation where the teachers from that, that section of, of the, those, different, those different topics, as well as some other leaders in our church, are going to sit up on stage and try to do their best to handle the big questions that came up during the series. So, so the first one of those is going to be, and you want to mark your calendar now, 7 p.m. Sunday, October 1st at our Rio Town venue. And so then the QR code will always be in your program during the series. Send your questions in. We'll sort through them and do our best to answer as many as we can. So, okay, today we're going to set up the series. Not going to be a lot of controversy today, except we are going to look at one of the earliest controversies that happened in the history of the church. It actually happened in 50 AD, which is roughly 17 years after Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, ascended to the right hand, or ascended uh, to the right hand of, of heaven. The global church was literally only 17 years old. Riverview, for context, is 46 years old. So we are 30 years older than the entire worldwide church was when they dealt with this big controversy. So if you have a Bible, uh, you can flip your way to Acts 15. Let me pray us in, and then we're going to look at how the early church handled uh, some controversy. Uh, let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you um, that you are not nervous about this series. <laughs> Uh, we thank you that your word, um, it, it connects with everything that's going on in our life, no matter what age we live in. And so we just pray that we would be faithful to it. Uh, we just pray that we'd be faithful to your word, that we would be gracious and humble toward people, and that we would um, do all things for the glory of God and the fame of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray all of this in Jesus' precious name, amen. Let's look at this controversy. 
Acts 15, chapter 1. It says, Some men came down from Judea and began to teach the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had engaged them in serious argument and debate, Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go up to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem about this issue. And when they arrived in Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, the apostles, the elders, and they reported all that God had done uh, with them. But some of the believers who belonged to the party of, of the Pharisees stood up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses and the apostles and elders gathered to consider this matter. All right, so what's going on here? What is this? Well, what happened is the church started inside of Judaism. It was a Jewish faith. It, it popped out of uh, Judaism, but it didn't stay that way. And Jesus had predicted that. He'd prophesied that in Acts 1.8. He said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. You'll, it'll expand out from your city to your region to people that are not even part of Judaism around the world. And it happened. And so here the early church right away had to deal with this tension of, of becoming a, a multi-ethnic, multicultural, multilingual church. But it was more than that because Jesus was the Jewish Messiah and had popped out of Judaism. Judaism, there was this faction inside of the church. It was a faction of Pharisees who had become Christians. We always say that Pharisees are always evil, right? That's how Christians think. These guys had all become Christians. But they believed that all the Christians should become Jewish, that they had to submit to the Mosaic law, otherwise they wouldn't be saved. That's a huge thing to figure out. So to settle the issue, they gathered the apostles and the elders, why the apostles and the elders? Well, the apostles were those who had seen Jesus face to face and got their marching orders directly from him. So it was the 12 disciples minus Judas who betrayed, betrayed Jesus, plus Matthias who got added to that pile, plus the apostle Paul who Jesus selected on the road to Damascus. That's all the apostles, right? The, they, along with the prophets, which are men and women who spoke the very words of God, they laid the foundation of the church until the Bible was completed. So that was who the apostles were. Well, who were the elders? Well, in the Bible, we see that elder is a term that is synonymous with pastor. It's the same person. Um, it, it, elders are pastors are elders, right? And they were the leaders of local congregations because pretty quickly the church had organized in this way where there were pastors and, el pastors and elders who led the church theologically initially. There were deacons who were men and women who served the church by freeing the elders up to lead, by caring for the church. And then the key was every member of the church was the one who actually did the ministry. The work of the ministry was the church. It wasn't just the pastor's job. So they all worked together on mission. And so the elders and the apostles had a very particular job to do within that. Their job was theological in nature. So this was a theological question that had popped up. And so they gathered the apostles and the elders to work it out. Now here's my summary of the issue they had to figure out. Does every Christian need to become Jewish and follow the Mosaic law to be a Christian? <laughs> That's a pretty big deal. Now, now, if you happen to be a Christian and not Jewish, you know how that question was answered. But this was new for them. This was important. So the apostles and the elders, they gathered to figure this out. Look at verse seven. It says this. It says, after there had been much debate... Okay, that's all they say. We don't have the debate. We don't have the notes, right? There was nobody writing everything down, so we don't have all the debate on the notes, but we do have that little phrase, much debate. 
That's a really important phrase because it's used all over the New Testament. I want to read you three significant places where it is listed in the New Testament. First Timothy 6 verses 3 and 4 says, If anyone teaches false doctrine and does not agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the teaching that promotes godliness, he is conceited, understands nothing, but has an unhealthy interest in disputes and arguments over words. That's the same phrase right there. Second Timothy Chapter two, verse 23 says, but reject foolish and ignorant disputes. There it is again, because you know that they breed quarrels. What about Titus? In Titus chapter three, it says, but avoid foolish debates, genealogies, quarrels, and disputes about the law because they are unprofitable and worthless. Now, did you catch the tone of those three verses? (laughs) What were they all saying? They were telling you, don't get involved in these disputes. There's a certain type of argument you should not be having. But in Acts, the apostles and elders were caught up in a dispute, the exact thing that they're now told not to do. What gives? Well, this is critically important. Some issues are worth fighting about. Some issues are worth arguing about. We must We should fight about them. They're that important. But many issues, the ones that we tend to get caught up in arguing about, are not those issues. (laughs) Which means, in the words of this text, these disputes, these arguments are unprofitable, worthless, foolish, ignorant, and unhealthy. And yet so many of us get caught up in that kind of argument. If you've been around River for a while, you've heard us use the phrase buckets of belief. Uh, If you Google that, you'll find some messages we've given on that. I want to give you an overly simplistic summary, but this is how we tend to think about this stuff at Riv, and it's important for this series. We tend to think about our beliefs as placing them into one of five different size buckets from very small to very large. The smallest bucket is this one right here, bucket one, and I like to call that the salvific bucket. That's just a fancy word that means pertaining to your salvation. The stuff that goes in this tiny little bucket is both salvific and it is very clear in the Bible. Christians agree on this stuff because these are doctrines uh, that are pertaining to our faith. One example would be Jesus is the only one who saves, right? Core Christian doctrine. If you don't believe that, you probably are not a Christian. You're, you, you, you missed a really, really important doctor right there. That's what that bucket one is. Now, bucket five on the other end is so big, we make it a Christi- uh, garbage can. Um, this is stuff that's not about Christianity at all, but people like to fight about anyway, right? This is stuff you might have opinions about, but it's not worth fighting about. It doesn't even matter. What color should the carpet be at church? Who cares? You may have an opinion about that, but it doesn't matter. It's actually not about Christianity. It's about color of carpet. And the tricky part is there are three buckets in the middle. And most people tend to choose a church based on these three buckets in the middle. And they can be deeply personal and way too often deeply divisive. We often disagree about which of these buckets should get different issues. And that's sort of the point. Let's look at these buckets. Bucket two right here is not stuff that is essential to salvation, but that doesn't mean it's not important. Often bucket two stuff is related to morality. And so in that sense, it's salvific-ish, right? 
And it might be clear in scripture, but that clarity might be debated. And if that sounds confusing, that's sort of the point. Because people don't know where to place some issues here. And different churches often will hold different positions on this stuff, how it's, but it is the important stuff that often cause churches to separate from one another. It's important enough to be clear on the stuff in this bucket. And as long as we're not divisive, we can attend or even be on staff or maybe even be in different forms of leadership depending on on that leadership role based on different nuances in this bucket. But the senior leadership, so we would say at RIV, like the elders, the pastors, you gotta be in agreement on this bucket. Otherwise, it's super confusing (laughs) and divisive in the church. So at RIV, what we've done is we put most of this stuff in our statement of faith in our core values, which you can just find on our website. Go to rivchurch.com slash beliefs, and you're gonna see the stuff that's there. So I'm gonna just give you an example from our statement of faith that we're gonna celebrate at both Holt and Rio Town because we didn't have electricity a couple weeks ago when we were celebrating it at the West Side. It says this in our statement of faith. Every follower of Jesus should be baptized by immersion as a symbol of their new birth in Christ. We think that's an important biblical issue. There are great and godly churches that disagree with us on the immersion part of that. So we're gonna dunk people, they wouldn't. And they will still be in heaven with us where they will discover that we were right. That's how, but I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I, I fully expect to get to heaven and to find out all the stuff I'm wrong on. So let me just be clear. Bucket three is what I call the uh, agree to disagree bucket. It's generally non-selfific stuff. This is stuff that is not as important and you can see it's getting bigger. Uh, the, the more you go this direction, the less salvific and the less clear it is, which is more and more and more stuff. And the big distinctions between bucket two and bucket three is bucket two is usually theology. Bucket three is often practice. So for instance, at RIV, we believe that, that every believer should be baptized um, by immersion. If you've never been baptized, we want to invite you to be baptized today. Let's do it today because it is a command given to us in Scripture. We think that's really important. Our practice is we believe the Great Commission in Matthew 28 was given to every believer, not just pastors. So pastors do very few of the baptisms here. Any baptized believer in Jesus is, is welcome to baptize anyone else. And so we, we do very few baptisms around here uh, as pastors. That's our practice. That's a bucket three issue. Not a big deal. It's an agreed to degree issue. Bucket four. What is bucket four? Well, bucket four are stuff, it's stuff that's non-selvific and it's non-moral. It's stuff in the Bible that doesn't affect your salvation or impact your eternity at all, but it, it does have to do with Christianity. So for instance, was there a literal flood in Noah's time? I think so. If you disagree with me, okay, we'll just find out later, right? Bucket four. So let's get back to Acts 15. Because the apostles and elders, what they're doing in Acts 15 is they're actually deciding what goes into what bucket. They don't have that language, but that's what they're they're doing. Let's look at this, starting in verse 7. It says, After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you are aware that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the gospel message and believe. So what we know is that the apostle Peter, that he was sent out to share the gospel with non-Jewish people. And so he's like, I was the key missionary here. I was the key church planter here. I went out and shared the gospel with with tons of non-Jewish people and you guys haven't seen as much of this as I have. That's what he's saying. So you guys know that I went out 
to do this. And he says, and God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he also did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their heart by faith. Now then, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' neck that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? Now, the Apostle Peter here, he's basically saying, I've been sent to these non-Jewish people and they did believe, they did have faith. I had first-hand knowledge how they had the Holy Spirit in their life and that God made no distinction when it related to their salvation, bucket one issue, right? Regarding their salvation, bucket one, God made no distinction between Jew and Gentile pertaining to their salvation. And so you guys are trying to place them under the law. You are trying to take another bucket and jam it into bucket one. And he says, and by doing that, you are doing two things. First, you're testing God. What does it mean when we test God? Well, testing God is seeing how far you can go with him. This is how we do it today. We're like, hey, God, is this too far? Well, what about this? Is this too far? And we kind of play for a line, right? And if you're doing that, but don't do that, it shows you have a sinful heart that just wants to get away with stuff, right? It's not a heart that is submitted to God. He's like, you guys are just testing God. And the second is, he says, you're putting a yoke on these new Jewish, non-Jewish believers. And what does that mean? Well, it means that they were trying to force a, a, a teaching onto them that goes beyond where the Bible goes, and this often happens when we take bucket three issues and bucket four issues and we try to place them into bucket one. We try to fight about them as if they were bucket one issues. Look at this, verse 11. He says, on the contrary, we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way they are. Did you catch it? It's genius what he just did. He flipped the whole argument on them. Instead of saying, they need to be under the law just like us, he says, we are saved the same way they are. <laughs> it's actually a genius move. We are saved the same way they are, which is through the grace of the Lord Jesus. That's how we are saved. Not by what we do, not by any law that we keep, not by becoming culturally the same as each other, but by believing in the same Jesus alone to save us apart from works. Now watch this, verse 12 through 18. The whole assembly became silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul describe all the signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And after they stopped speaking, James responded, brothers, listen to me. Simeon has reported uh, how God first intervened to take from the Gentiles a people for his name, and the words of the prophets agree with this. So what did he do? He just flipped open his Bible to the Old Testament. And he says, as it is written, after these things I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. I will rebuild its ruin and set it up again so that the rest of humanity may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, declares the Lord, who makes these things known from long ago. Now, who is this James guy? He's one of the elders. He is the pastor of the Jerusalem church. So he's, he's the guy hosting this conference, right? And they're at his, his church. He's like, he, he, he goes to the scripture. And he says, what I see in scripture lines up with what these guys have experienced. And so from this, he draws a conclusion and a proposal that they end up accepting. He says, therefore, in my judgment, 
We should not cause difficulties for those among the Gentiles who turn to God, but instead we should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from eating anything that has been strangled, and from blood. Okay. He says, this is my judgment. In other words, I think this is right. And then he lists four things that seem at first glance to be weird. Because what he just did is he picked four things from the law. Like they had just settled that they were not under the law, right? They just settled that Gentiles were saved apart from the law, that they were not saved by their works, that they're, they're saved by faith and grace uh, the same way everybody was. And then he just plucks four seemingly random bits of the law. Why these four? Well, let's think about this. First of all, they had a long debate. Have you ever had a long debate at work? Something you guys worked on for a long time and then you had to synthesize it all down to a simple summary to give to people who were not in the debate? Ever have to do that? At Riv, we have a statement on racism. It's on our website. It's about that long. You know how long that took us to put together? 15 months. It did. It took us 15 months. Why? Because this was not a bucket one salvific issue and there were a lot of people who had different opinions about what buckets it should land on and what the language should be and we had to wrestle through all of that to say, what do we believe as a church where we can kind of stack our hands on it? So this is what happened. They had this huge debate. It wasn't 15 months, but they had this massive debate and argument and we don't get to see the notes. We only get to see his proposal. And so James gives us a list. He says, listen, just tell the non-Jewish people to abstain from four things. Things uh, polluted by idols, uh, sexual immorality, uh, eating anything that has been strangled, because you know that happens a lot, right? Uh, and, and, and blood, eating anything with blood in it. So the vampires and, and Englishmen are in trouble. You know, no blood sausage for you, which is disgusting, by the way. Um, why these four things? Why these four? Well, in the early church, um, almost all worship services included food. Don't you wish you lived in the first century? Like there's still churches. I know a lot of churches that still practice this culturally today. They have a lot of food in their worship services. It's hard to, to overestimate how much food was in these services. <laughs> they would gather, they would eat, they would take the Lord's Supper, they would baptize new believers, they would preach the word, they would share with one another, they would sing together. And, and it's, it would be hard to overemphasize how disgusted Jews would be if somebody brought to that potluck something, food that had been sacrificed to an idol, that had been strangled, or that had blood in it. That was wildly offensive to Jews. And so that is why that shows up on that list, because in their culture, that's what they would have been used to. That explains three of the four, but why was sexual immorality on that list? Why is that in there? Well, the cultural world of the first century interwove several things. There was idol worship in false temples, which had big feasts along with orgies and temple prostitutions. And by the way, anybody who says that things are worse today than they ever have been <laughs> has a superficial view of history. The first century was a freak show. And some of these Gentile Christians were taking these practices and they were carrying them into the church. We actually see this show up in other places in scripture. And so some Gentile Christians were likely bringing a cultural acceptance of sexual immorality and maybe even trying to import that into their worship services in the church that probably showed up in some of the debate. <laughs> like, we gotta keep these people under the Mosaic law because look what they're doing in church, right? 
So what happens is James is not creating a list of things that the Gentiles had to do to be saved. He's not creating a bucket one list for them that relates to their salvation. That was settled. Everyone is saved through grace uh, by Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. That's done. They settled the bucket one issue. They created a list of things that would bring harmony to the early church. And notice both Jews and Gentiles had to accommodate the other for the sake of unity of the church. Because what we see throughout the New Testament is this. Yes, you have been set free by Jesus, but other people are more important than you. So you get to lay down your liberties because you love other people. You get to, in the name of Jesus, rank them as more important than you are. Let me give you a silly example. You ever wonder why we use grape juice when we do the Lord's Supper instead of wine? When wine is what they used in the New Testament, and, and we know this because, first of all, anytime you make squeeze a grape, it starts fermenting that second, right? This is literally what happens. And, and Scripture, when it talks about alcohol, it always talks about the fact that over uh, abuse of alcohol is wrong. You shouldn't do that. You can get in trouble with a lot of wine and all that kind of stuff. But most of the time, wine is talked about as a blessing in, in Scripture. But what happened was every church down through history until 1869 used wine in their uh, Lord's Supper. And in 1869, a Methodist communion steward, his name is Thomas Welch. Sound familiar? <laughs> He was part of this new temperance movement and he was like, listen, uh, Christians should not be drinking alcohol. And so he was in charge of communion, but he had a conviction that he couldn't drink it, right? And so he's like, well, we better figure out a way to get the alcohol out of that stuff. And he did. Figured out how to pasteurize grape juice. He is still the biggest brand out there in that stuff. Why do we do it? We do it because we know that there are people in our church that we love that struggle with alcohol. They struggle either be, be, because they have a struggle with alcohol, or just they've, they've had some drunkenness, they're an alcoholic or whatever, um, or convictionally, they believe that they shouldn't drink. So what do we do? We lay down our liberty to do things that the way that they were done for 1,800 years because we love the people in our church more than our liberty. I know that's a silly example. But if you're tracking with me, you may have a question about a not silly example. James's proposal was things polluted by idols, uh, don't eat things that have been strangled, don't eat blood, and sexual immorality. Does that mean that sexual immorality is a liberty issue and we can do whatever we want sexually as long as it doesn't hurt or offend someone else? No. What's going on here? Well, what James is doing is he is combining both, both issues that were moral issues and things that were cultural issues that were important. This is just the summary statement that they came up with today. We got to deal with these four issues. The consistent message in scripture is that God's people, be that the Jews in the Old Testament or Christians now, that we live differently. And one of the ways we live differently is in the area of our sexuality. And so Paul, the apostle, when he was writing in the New Testament, he has 12 different lists of sins that span 65 different sins that he listed. He said, you know, Christians, you shouldn't do this stuff. And in every one of his lists, except for one, sexual sin is listed. And in most of the lists, he gives three different examples of sexual sin because it was such a big issue. 
So what James is doing here is he's listing both sin issues and unity issues into this pile, into this letter that they're sending out. So they write this letter and they send it to the churches and here's the amazing thing. It says, when the churches received it, both Jew and Gentile alike rejoiced at what was written on the page. Why? Because the early church, just 17 years in, understood that unity was more important than liberty. Make sure you hear this. They understood that unity was the important thing. So we as followers of Jesus, we should celebrate unity and we should mourn division. You know, one of the reasons churches took such a beating during COVID was because of division over non-salvific issues. We took bucket two, bucket three, bucket four, bucket five issues, and we broke churches apart over those issues. So what we're going to do during this series is we're going to hit, like I said, nine different issues <laughs> with varying levels of controversy and varying levels. Some of them are cultural issues. Some of them are just scriptural issues. Most of them are bucket two issues. Um, uh, one of them is a bucket one issue. We just thought it was important enough to get it in there. Um, because our culture debates it. But most of them are bucket two issues. Um, and remember, bucket two is stuff that's not necessarily essential to salvation, but it's important. A lot of it is moral. So it is salvific-ish, ish, but it is morality type of issues. And so different churches may hold different positions on this stuff. And, and, and we're just gonna lay out what we believe the, the scripture teaches on this stuff. The Riv elders have reviewed each of these messages <laughs> And the main thesis of each message is what we would say is our judgment. Other Christians may disagree with us, but we think these issues are important enough that they all made it into this series. Now, what you might hear during this series, I want you to pay attention to it, is one of the teachers may say, I think, or in my judgment, <laughs> while they're preaching. And what, when you hear that, realize they're giving their personal thoughts on the matter that might be a variety of opinions amongst our team here because we have people who have different opinions on some of those issues. But when we say this is what we believe scripture teaches or this is what Riverview believes, you can kind of stand on that stuff. So at each of these messages, we're gonna present some positions and some postures. The positions are, we think this is what the Bible teaches and postures are, this is what we think our attitude should be. <laughs> what our posture should be toward these things, especially toward people who disagree with us. So I thought it'd be fun just for this message to give you, and I'm just gonna read them. I'm not gonna go through and teach them all out. Um, five positions and one big posture from today's message. Here are the positions from this text. One, our beliefs about salvation and morality must come from the Bible. I think that's clear from this text. Two, God gets to decide the terms of salvation. We don't. In our culture today, we just think that we just get to decide what it means to be a Christian or what it means to be right with God. No, he gets to decide that. Three, we are saved through the grace of Jesus, not by works. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. There's nothing you can do to keep yourself saved. There's nothing you can do uh, to, to make yourself go to heaven. It's all about Jesus. When Jesus lived that sinless life, died on the cross, was buried, rose again, ascended to the right hand of God the Father, he did everything that needs to be done. It's all about him. And four, unity in the church is more important than individual liberty. So what is our posture? Just one. The less salvific and clear an issue is in the Bible, the less we should fight about it. 
Now, when you get to the end of this chapter, it's really fascinating what happens. I just want to read it to you because it's a weird turn. At the end of this chapter, it says this. After some time had passed, uh, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers and sisters in every town where we've preached the word of God and see how they're doing. He's like, I just want to go around and visit people. Um, Barnabas wanted to take along John, John, who was also called Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take along this man who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone on to help them with their work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they started parting company and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed off to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed after being immediately commended by the brothers and sisters by the grace of the Lord and he traveled to Syria, Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Do you see what's happening? This is fascinating that it's in this chapter. Right after this decision about unity, Paul and Barnabas have this huge falling out on something that is not a bucket one issue. Paul's like, I cannot deal with John Mark. He, he abandoned us. He deserted us. I don't trust him. I'm not taking him. And Barnabas is like, no, I can work with him. And they had a sharp disagreement and whoop, they went two different ways. And you know what? It was okay. God used it because he uses stuff. He used it for good. He used it for the expansion of the gospel in two different directions. And you know, that's our posture. I mean, mean, I've seen churches and leaders and members separate over important stuff and really silly stuff. And in the end of the day, in the grand scheme of eternity, it's okay. God uses even that for his glory and to spread the gospel. So we might get this wrong. We're likely to get a lot of this wrong. And then God is gonna move it around and do what he does. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, just, uh, we pray for this whole series and we just pray um, for our hearts. We just pray that our hearts would be tender toward you, um, that our hearts would be tender toward others, that you would cause us to be people who stand firm on your word and we don't separate over silly stuff. So help us to know where to stand. Help us to know what bucket to place things in as we deal with controversial and very personal issues over the next nine weeks. um, We just pray that you would um, unite us instead of dividing us. Unite us around Jesus and his saving work. We pray all this in his name, amen.